0: Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin, the podcast.
1: Good Monday morning. The Browns are getting plenty of TLC this morning in their home city after what they did to finally get to that vaunted 10-week mark. You think about it. For the second time in six days, the Browns were on the giant stage of standalone national TV. It was a thriller Monday night, a loss on ESPN to the Ravens, but they bounced back in a giant way with a win against New York and here we go. On a Monday morning, Keyshawn, Jay, Will, and Zubin presented by Progressive Insurance. The fellas are on a well-deserved break, but it only stands to reason we've got a Super Bowl champion with the race to the Super Bowl narrowing a little bit. Chris Canty is with us this morning for the next four hours. Good morning. Great to see you.
2: Good to see you, Zoo. How you
1: doing? I'm doing great. Uh, first things first, I'm doing great, but not nearly as great as the <laughs> Cleveland Browns. Kevin Stefanski right up there for coach of the year. Let's just hear from Kevin Kevin Stefanski on the resurgent play of his quarterback, Baker Mayfield.
0: Yeah, I thought Baker was outstanding tonight. Uh, He was dialed in. Uh, It's really what I expect from him. It's what he expects from himself. It's how he practices. Uh, But I really thought he was sharp.
1: Let's lay it on the line here. They haven't exactly clinched a playoff berth just yet. They could get there next week. They'll be playing at the Jets, second team to have that Giants, Jets, double dip on the road. The Niners did it earlier this season. So if the Browns can win and get some help by losses from three other teams who they're chasing at this particular point or are chasing them, then you're in a situation where they'll snap the NFL's longest playoff drought, which goes back to 2002. It appears as though it's only a matter of time until that happens. The biggest reason the Browns are in position to make the playoffs for the first time in almost 20 years is what
2: I think it's the marriage between the run game and the pass game, and Kevin Stefanski has done a good job of figuring out what Baker Mayfield is good at and what he's not, in trying to put him in situations that accentuate his strengths. You look at what they did last night: being able to stay with the run game just enough to provide that balance and the threat that makes play action effective. Only 3.2 yards for carry between Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. But in those 22 attempts, you keep those linebackers honest, you keep those guys coming downhill, and then you're able to find those voids between the second and third levels of the defense, and Baker Mayfield was surgical last night, only five incompletions. And you got to give some love to his offensive line, too, because they kept him clean. Even with Hubbard going out, they still provided clean pockets for him. Only one quarterback hit in 37 dropbacks so that's impressive that the offensive line could keep him that clean but I think Baker Mayfield's understanding of what Kevin Stefanski wants to do and Kevin Stefanski's understanding of what his quarterback strengths are that's what's leading the charge for this late season surge for the Browns.
1: They had two 95-yard scoring drives, including when one was capped. Jarvis Landry turning around, popping up a one, popping up a three to pay homage to Odell Beckham Jr. You saw that?
2: Isaac Yada for the Giants didn't like that too much. But, I mean, the Giants were shorthanded on the back end. They didn't have James Bradbury. So you knew that their defense would struggle, especially in pass coverage. What I was a little bit surprised was with the complexion of the game because I thought that their head coach, Joe Judge, did some things to put even more pressure on a defense that was trying to support an offense with a backup quarterback.
1: Indeed, and Joe Judge did say, I don't regret any of the aggressive play calling that was made. He definitely seems like a guy that doesn't have a lot of regrets. He just does (laughs) what he wants to do and moves forward. From the Browns' standpoint, you know, Jay is our resident Giant fan, but he actually said all week long last week on the program that even though he's a ride-or-die Giants fan, that this is a bigger game for the Browns. It certainly turned out to be a bigger game, considering where their aspirations are vis-a-vis the Giants. But Jay also said, and I was taken a little aback by that, as was Keyshawn, that he really believes the Browns can... Ready for this? Win the Super Bowl. Win the Super Bowl. We've got all these things about snapping the playoff drought, getting to the 10-win mark for the first time since 07. They haven't won the division in 28 years. That's Uh also the longest drought. I mean, that was the AFC Central. It wasn't even called the North back then. I think the Steelers win tonight. They sort of pretty much put it out of reach on ESPN against the Bengals. Super Bowl, though, is that a little too much? I, I was a little bit yeah, taken aback by that. Yeah,
2: Jay's putting a little too much on that one. You know, sometimes you have that overreaction Monday, but you're talking about a Browns defense that prior to this game gave up over 80 points in the two games that they played. So I I think it's a little too early for Super Bowl talk, but it's definitely reasonable to expect this team to get into the postseason and potentially win a postseason game, which is a huge step for the Cleveland Browns program for their new general manager, Andrew Berry, and their new head coach, and Kevin Stefanski.
1: It's amazing. Baker's 25, Garrett's 24, Andrew Berry, the GM, is 33, the head coach, Kevin Stefanski, is 38. All they do is build, implode, build, implode. Now (laughs) it feels like they've got a nice, young, great foundation to work with. Again, it stands to reason that even though the Browns have won 10 games already this season, and Chris, there's an extra playoff spot available in the AFC and the NFC this year. we had got seven teams making it. You would think hey, a team gets to 10 wins when more teams than ever are making the NFL playoffs, that would be enough. But it is still not enough for the Browns. They can clinch a playoff berth next week with a win at the suddenly resurgent, on fire, New York Jets, tongue planted firmly in cheek, and then they need losses by Baltimore, the Colts, Or the Dolphins to get in. So they need a little bit of help from the opposition of those three teams. Biggest thing here is Baker is really... I mean, look, even in the Monday night loss, I thought he was great. He was great yesterday. You mentioned how efficient he was. Why are you believing in him? What's different about it?
2: Well, I think the timing of the passing game is there now. you know, with Baker Mayfield, some of the things that they were doing in the first half of the season, it just looked a little bit off, but now it feels like it's in sync and, and I guess that should be a reasonable expectation that this is the time that they start clicking, given the season that we've had in the off season no o t a s no mini camps, you know, modified training camp schedule, so you know you're you're trying to figure things out on the fly. And I think now is that time where they're hitting that sweet spot. And it's perfect for them because this is when you want to be playing your best football. You want to be going into the playoffs with a lot of momentum, and you can certainly say that about the Cleveland Browns and the way they're they're playing right now. So you
1: look at Stefanski last year at this time working with the Minnesota Vikings. You extract him from the Vikings. You put him on the Browns, and you look what's happened to the Vikings after that 1-5 start. They got out to a nice building block after that. Now they've lost a couple in a row. Their offense seems to be scuffling a little bit. Meanwhile, he goes to Cleveland. He's been the antidote. He's been the reason for success. Where does he fall to you in the coach of the year? year discussion I think he's in the top three or
2: four candidates for coach of the year I would put Sean McDermott there I would still keep Mike Tomlin up there even though some of the shine on the Pittsburgh Steelers is worn off with the two consecutive losses keeping in mind they played three games in 12 days and their season has been kind of shuffled due to COVID concerns so I just think that the fact that he's been able to keep that group together even with the injuries and Big Ben coming back from the injury that he had with the elbow I just feel good Good about the job that Mike Tomlin has done, Sean McDermott's in that conversation as well. So I just think that Stefanski and what he's done and having the potential to get the Cleveland Browns back into the postseason for the first time in 2002 and seemingly stabilizing the organization, you have to give him credit for that.
1: There's no doubt about it. Also, we mentioned Odell was kind of there in spirit. He certainly wasn't there last night, as I mentioned, during the touchdown that Landry had. He stood up. Popped the one, popped the three. Obviously, Odell had so many great moments in that end zone. In the first quarter of the game, there was almost a one-handed catch right where Odell made his famous yep, say right in that same years end ago, zone. right? Yep. there's some karma, something going on there last night for the Giants and the Browns. Um, but we've had this discussion all season long, and it seems ridiculous when you say it on its face. But with regards to a little bit less pressure, a little bit regards to Baker having a little bit more say and latitude in the offense, do you think the extraction of Odell not taking anything away from his talent, but just that he's always going to want the ball and there's always pressure to go that way. Has having no Odell for this stretch, not counting his talent, for this stretch, helped Baker maybe ease some of the pressure off of him?
2: Well, I think it's put more focus on Baker in terms of him understanding the offense and where he needs to go with the football, not trying to do too much, but playing within the structure of what Kevin Stefanski is trying to provide. And when you do that, when you play within yourself as a player and you trust the pieces around you, you're going to have success in this league. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing, leaning on the running game when it calls for it, but then being opportunistic with shots and chunk plays downfield. I think that's the most important thing. Baker Mayfield, being able to take advantage of the play action, as Kevin Stefanski's dialing, Coming into yesterday's game, Baker Mayfield was top five in yards off of play action. He was second in terms of quarterback rating off of play action. So I have fourth in terms of yards per attempt. So I think that Baker Mayfield has a good feel for what they want to do and he's not trying to press and do too much. That way you cut down on the turnovers, you cut down on the mistakes, and when the Cleveland Browns play clean football, you can see that this team has a talent level that's going to allow them to compete with anybody.
1: There's no doubt about it, especially after the reputation of being missing on picks left and right. They certainly do seem to have the requisite talent. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests on the Shell Pennzoil performance line. The college football playoff is set. We'll talk about that this morning at 6.45 a.m. Eastern. Keyshawn J. Will Zubin reminding you to go to ESPN.com slash for a chance to win a trip to next year's national championship. On the way, the Saints got their Super Bowl MVP back. But have these words ever been uttered before? Was it a mistake to start Drew Brees on Sunday? As crazy as that sounds, we'll talk about it.
3: Chishon, J. Will, and Zubin, the podcast.
2: Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. Join 16 million customers and learn how the wise account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash unsportsmanlike.
1: It's definitely an issue. You just heard Michael leaves with our Tim Hasselback there on exactly what happened in the return of Drew Brees. Keyshawn J. Willis been presented by Progressive Insurance. The fellas are off. The Super Bowl champion, Chris Canty, is here. And speaking of off, I think it's fair to see uh, and say Drew Brees was a little bit off yesterday. Remember, the Chiefs had a 14-0 lead yesterday before Brees completed a pass. Mm -hmm. Let that settle down for a second. The Chiefs had a 14-0 lead before Drew completed a pass. He was 0 for 6 out of the gate. It's the first time in his career he's been 0 for 5 or worse out of the gate. Coming back from those 11 fractured ribs, add to the fact that when he was out, the Saints lose to the Eagles. The Packers overtake them for the one spot a week ago. Packers win Saturday, putting more pressure on the Saints Sunday. And you know what they say about pressure and pipes. Here's Drew Brees on getting back on the field after his four-game absence.
3: Being able to throw the ball, you know, good enough. And, and obviously, that was kind of a ramp up, you know, from call it last week, late last week into early this week and, and throughout practice. I still have a little ways to go. I'll be honest. You know, there's some things that that, you know, I'm still
0: still kind of working on. But it is what it is. Are you 100 <laughs> percent?
3: No, but I'm on my way.
1: I think if anybody deserves the benefit of the doubt, Chris, from bouncing back from injury, it is Drew Brees. I don't think anybody in the history of the NFL has bounced back from an injury better than he has, eventually going from not being able to pick up a ball and throwing it a yard to winning the Super Bowl with the Saints. So I certainly believe he gets the benefit of the doubt. He says he's not 100%. It's his first one back. So essentially, what did you make of it against the quality of competition they faced yesterday?
2: Well, he was shaking the rust off. I mean, he hadn't played football in a month, so you knew that he wasn't going to be sharp. But it was important for the Saints to get him back out there on the field. So when people have the conversation about whether or not it was a mistake by Sean Payton and does Taysom Hill give them a better chance against the Chiefs, you probably could make that argument under the circumstances. But it's not just about beating the Chiefs in Week 15. This is about the Saints gearing up for a playoff run. And you want to get Drew Brees a couple of games under his belt so that when he does get to postseason play – that your quarterback is ready to go and he's going to be the Drew Brees that we've seen, the Drew Brees that's that's going to walk him into the Hall of Fame five years from whenever he decides to stop playing. But, I mean, in terms of watching the game yesterday, yeah, it, it was a little bit off in terms of his overall feel. But you, you can understand that because he's missed so much time.
1: No doubt. And you're playing the best team in the NFL, and that obviously has something to do with it as well. We're asking on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, who do you trust the most in the NFC playoffs. It almost feels like a trick question because everyone's got their flaws. (laughs) We'll get Chris's answer here in a second, but you want to weigh in, be a part of the Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. ESPN Nation presented by Dr. Pepper. It's official college football's back, so is your favorite Dr. Pepper-loving college football town. Fansville, head to a store near you to treat your inner college football fan to a nice cold 20-ounce Dr. Pepper today. Here's the way it stands in the NFC at the moment and we'll just throw out the candidates and you can be anybody the Packers remain in that one spot although Aaron Rodgers certainly wasn't happy with the way they played on Saturday we'll get into that a little bit later the Saints drop another one they're at 10 and 4 they're the two seed Seattle is at the three seed the Washington football team by virtue of obviously somebody having to win the NFC East and host the playoff games at four and then the shocking loss by the Rams the amazing comeback by the Bucks. so the Rams are at five The Bucs are at six. Arizona with a win over Jalen Hurts and the Birds. They stand at seven. So, your thought: who do you trust most? In the NFC, those are the seven that are in the mix at the moment.
2: I trust Seattle, especially if they have a home game to start postseason action. I, I know their defense was awful in the first half of the regular season, but in the last month and a half, they're trending in the right direction. Carlos Dunlap, the guy they made a midseason trade for, he's having an impact in terms of being able to pressure the opposing passers. And then, of course, Jamal Adams being an impact player on every level of that defense. I think they're moving in the right direction, and they're getting healthy at the right time. Richard Penny back in action for for them. They'll get Josh Gordon back down the stretch. So they'll add some more weapons for Russ to cook with. And and we'll see. We know that Russell Wilson isn't going to be the guy that's going to be the reason they lose. And so you're just hoping that the defense, which has been the sore spot on this team, can continue to show the improvement that they have. That offense will show up to the party. It's just a question of whether or not the defense will. I think they will. And out of all of the teams in the NFC, I mean, they've all got their warts but I feel like Seattle's the team I trust the most. I picked them coming into this season to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. There's no reason for me to back off that now, especially with them in a the pole position in the NFC West.
1: Indeed. They're in the third spot right now. They seem to have the edge over the Rams to win the division. Obviously, the Rams are the huge clunker yesterday. Keep in mind Seattle started at 5-0. It the best start in franchise history. Then they hit the skids a little bit, as you fellas like to say. The quote-unquote second quarter of the season didn't go well. <laughs> they were 1-3, but they've certainly bounced back. On the other side, we talked about it Now, it may not have been indicative if you look at the final score yesterday between the Chiefs and the Saints, but this boggles the mind. Patrick Mahomes on the other side, 9 0 oh in his career against teams who entered the game with the top five scoring defense. If you're a casual fan, you probably think about Drew Brees and Kamara and Michael Thomas, who wasn't out there. But at the same token, the Saints' defense, for those that aren't paying close attention, has been outstanding this year. And Mahomes had some struggles yesterday, but at times looked absolutely brilliant, staying perfect against the best defenses in the league in his short career.
2: Patrick Mahomes is so tough to defend just because he has the ability to extend plays, the second reaction plays. That's where he's surgical. Yesterday he was seven or 12 for 63 yards and two touchdowns on rollouts and scrambles. And when you saw the defense that the Saints were playing, they majored in a lot of cover five, which is two deep, man under. You saw that Patrick Mahomes was able to elude that rush from the Saints at times, being able to get outside of the pocket, on the perimeter of the defense. And he's going to put pressure on you that way because he can use his legs to pick up some yards, but he's also keeping his eyes downfield for the big play. And I think – over the course of that game, that defense just wore down, especially the guys on the back end, and that created just enough opportunities for Pat Mahomes and that Chiefs offense to put points on the board. That throw that Pat Mahomes made in the third quarter to mm-hmm. Miko Harbin in the back of the end zone, I, I don't know how he put that there. I mean, you're, you're probably talking about him being the only quarterback that's capable of making that type of throw. It's
1: unbelievable. Uh, real quick, just not to get too nerdy here, I want to bring up one point on Mahomes. You know, after the game, Le'Veon Bell said something that it just boggles the mind if you think about it. He said... He's better than I ever could have imagined with Le'Veon obviously coming over from the Jets, watching him from afar, and then having the ability to see him up close and personal. I, that just that just strikes me because at the age of 25, now 26, you know your situation where you look at him and say, got the Super Bowl, got the MVP. What more do you need to see? But then you actually bring a guy into the program from a program that is essentially the polar opposite, doesn't mm. know how to win, is dysfunctional. You bring him right in, and the first thing he says is, even though I watch like every other fan, like Le'Veon Bell he's amazing he's more than I could have ever imagined even though you imagine him to be as good as could be that just really struck me a guy coming in obviously seeing his skill set and then saying whoa tip of the iceberg I had no idea this dude was like this on the way a win for the Jets that could lead how could we possibly say this to another decade of losing (laughs) killing them after their only win of the season but it makes quite a bit of sense. We'll explain on the way. 30 for 30 podcast presents March 11th, 2020, a standalone audio documentary that tells the story of the day the NBA shut down and the pandemic became real for many Americans as told by those who lived the events of that day and built entirely with archival and exclusive interviews, including Rudy Gobert, who cashed in big time this weekend and Dr. Fauci, March 11th, 2020 will tell the story of a day that started in one reality and ended in a new one. 30 for 30 podcast presents March 11th, 2020. Subscribe and listen now, wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Keyshawn, J. Will and Subin, the podcast.
2: For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
0: It's demon time on Prize Picks, where you can now win up to 100 times your money. That's right, 100 times your money.
1: I mean, that's where we are with the Jets. That's where we are. It so much r- conflict
2: in the Jets fans <laughs> right now. So much. Happy their team won a game, but now on the outside looking into the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes.
1: Indeed, and that's where we'll start. You heard the call there on 98.7 ESPN in New York. Mike Tannenbaum, as I mentioned, general manager for a couple teams, including the Jets, joins us this morning on the Shell Pennzoil performance line. Before we hear from Mike, it's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Adam Gase asked this after the game. A
0: win like this produces a lot of conflicting emotions because there's a large segment of the fan base that wanted you guys to lose out and get the number one pick. What do you say to those fans?
1: Hey, our job's to try to go out and win every week. I think that's fair enough. Straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. Adam getting straight to it before we bring in Tannenbaum. And just my thought on it, Chris, is simply this. I mean, look, um, there's a handful of teams in the NFL that have gone 1-15. Nobody remembers them. They all do remember the 2017 Browns, and they remember the Lions, the 2-0 and 16 teams. And if they're all going to be shipped out the day the season ends or the day after the season ends, the last thing you want on that resume is any stench of an 0-16 season. A win is a win. 1-15, it sounds silly, is so much better than 0-16 when it comes to your future job prospects, especially when you know, why are we building for 2021? Most of us aren't even going to be here. Anyway, Mike Tannenbaum joins us on the Shell Penzoil Performance Line. So was a win a loss, Mike? What do you think?
3: <laughs> I agree with what you just said. You know, uh, The coaches and players in that building, they're not worrying about next year. Everybody else is. And look, there's a massive gap from Trevor Lawrence to everybody else. And as I put out on social media yesterday, there's really a big gap between him and the last three number one picks. When you think about Joe Burrow, Kyle Murray, Baker Mayfield, that's how transcendent Trevor Lawrence is. So the task at hand guys right now, if I'm the Jets, is how good is Sam Darnold? Because I have to start thinking about names like Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston. And now I go into the Kyle Trask. And there's a whole bunch of guys in college I have to look at. But it really starts with, what do I have in Sam Darnold?
2: Mr. T, if draft positions hold steady in the last two weeks of the season, if you were the general manager of this Jets team with the second overall pick, what would you do? Would you actually draft Justin Fields or one of those other quarterbacks? Or would you try to trade down and get a bevy of picks to build out the rest of the roster?
3: Yeah, Krista, it's a great question. And as of now, I would still look at a quarterback – because Sam Darnold's had a number of years between USC and what he's done so far in the pros, and I still don't see a high-level, consistent, franchise-level quarterback. Now, in fairness, we could say that going back to USC through now, there hasn't been continuity, skill players, things that we've talked about quite a bit, but at some point, greatness has to shine through and say, I could elevate people around me. So to me, Justin Fields has a better ceiling than Sam Darnold, and certainly I would look at Mac Jones. Kyle Trask, Zach Wilson and BYU, and I would strongly lean towards a quarterback. Now, with that said, Sam Darnold will have a chance to make a closing statement. He has a couple more weeks, and in fairness, this Jet team, as we know, should have beaten the Raiders and really had the Patriots on the ropes not that long ago as well. So it's not a slam dunk, but right now I just don't see Sam Darnold being that elite player.
1: On the other side, real quick with the Rams, just I know it's a one-off. They're not that bad. They're going to the playoffs. Um, it is a little jarring. McVeigh used the word embarrassing. Just inside a front office, just for one second on the Rams, what's the feeling inside there right now with less need and Sean McVeigh? Yeah, it's a clunker, but this was a clunker for the ages.
3: It, it, Zubin, it, it's devastating, um, and Sean McVeigh kind of shine light on that a little bit. It's devastating in that building today because you're trying to. You're, you're trying to win the division. You have Seattle, you have Arizona, and you're looking at this game as, oh, we're going to win a 17-point favorite at home. Unacceptable, can't happen. So it's gonna, we'll see if it's just a one-week uh, sort of bump in the road or maybe this is who they really are. They're a tough evaluation for me because they were dominant against the Patriots not that two weeks ago, and for this to happen is really unacceptable. Mike T.,
2: another great performance by Jalen Hurts. Even though the Eagles don't get the win, it comes down to the wire out there in the desert. If you're the Eagles, what do you do with Carson Wentz? Do you do you go into the offseason with a quarterback competition, or is Jalen Hurts doing enough to say that this is his team going into 2021?
3: Chris, Jalen Hurts was really impressive yesterday. I thought the game slowed down for him. He made a lot of plays again with his arm, with his feet. He has a couple more weeks, and I'm going to collect all that information before I make a decision And while you're dealing from a position of strength because you want depth at that position, if Jalen Hurts continues to play this way, you can't have him and Carson Wentz on your team next year. And Carson Wentz with that massive cap hit, you may have to look at doing something with him if Jalen Hurts continues to play this way because he played at a winning level for the second consecutive week.
1: Okay, so now what happens regarding Wentz? Just to get everybody up to speed, there was so much sports this weekend. It was like sports overload with college football, the uh, the college basketball, the NFL. You may have missed this. There was a report from Adam Schefter yesterday morning that essentially said that if he is going to be the backup this of course speaking of Wentz that he wanted out later in the day there was some reporting late in the evening that that wasn't particularly the case we got to get through the rest of the season the first two games here from Hertz indicate it's going to be his job at least the rest of the way common sense would tell you so if you have those dueling narratives out there all that money sitting on the bench Hertz playing well all of this swirling what do you do with Wentz?
3: Carson Wentz is going to want to start. He's too much of a competitor. He's accomplished too much at the NFL level, and to me, all signs, all signs point to Indianapolis. Indianapolis needs a young quarterback. He's had a ton of success with Frank Reich, their head coach, who is the offensive coordinator in Philadelphia. It gets him a lot closer to where he's from in in North Dakota. So, look, there's going to be a massive cap hit if and when. The Eagles would trade him in the offseason, something that I'm sure they don't want to do, at least not initially. But Carson Wentz isn't going to want to sit there in the prime of his career to watch Jalen Hurts play. So they're going to have to work out the contract. They would have to work out the trade terms. A lot has to happen between now and next March. But to me, a lot of the signs point to if Hurts continues to play the way he does, Carson Wentz possibly being traded to the Colts.
2: Mike, yesterday the Washington football team earlier in the day opened the door for the Giants to jump back into the first place in the NFC East with a win. Obviously the Giants didn't, but you saw some aggressive play calling from Joe Judge early on in that game. Were you on board with his decision to go for it on fourth downs, on those two fourth downs in the first half?
3: Absolutely. You're going into the game with a backup quarterback in Colt McCoy. You're going to need points because Baker Mayfield and that Brown offense is going to score. You have a chance to – win the division, which is something they probably didn't think of when they lost Saquon Barkley and all the other bumps in the road that they've had. So I appreciate what Joe Judge is doing. He's saying a high bar. He's trying to win. And look, this is such an unusual year in the NFC East. The fact that they're still in it, despite all the things they've been through, I think says a lot about him and how spirited that defense plays. They were undermanned again last night. I thought Bradbury's absence was monumental. They just struggled getting off the field and defending Cleveland. But – I like the mindset. I think it sends the right message long-term to that uh, locker room saying, hey, we're trying to win. We're not going to just try to manage the game. Mike, that being said, who ends up winning the NFC East? Oh, Chris, we've talked about this quite a bit. I get Washington. They got a one-game lead. They got a great front seven. I was disappointed in Dwayne Haskins against a very inconsistent Seattle defense. I know you like Seattle, Chris, but, you know, my eyes – When I I look at that defense, I still don't trust it. So I thought Dwayne Haskins would have played better. And despite his inconsistencies, because they have a one-game lead and because of a dominant front seven, I'm going with Washington.
2: Mike, pivoting to the AFC East, now that New England has officially been eliminated from playoff contention, what's next for that organization?
3: They have to have a long look at what they're doing at the quarterback position, which is something really remarkable. We haven't said that in over 20 years. I thought Cam Newton was going to be a perfect fit in New England. I thought it was a great signing. He just doesn't look like the same passer that he was five years ago when he was the league MVP. And I don't know if it's age or injuries. He's not the same guy. So again, the two intriguing players in free agency to me because of their age and what they've done are Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston, two players that have accomplished a fair amount in our league. And then if I'm New England, I got to think about using my first round pick on maybe a quarterback because... They have to get that situation, that position solidified. Now, with that said, Chris, I was really surprised how poor they were on run defense. Give Miami a lot of credit. No Jakeem Grant, no Mike Kisecki, no Devontae Parker. They had to run the ball and win. They knew it. New England knew it. And New England can stop Miami's run and give Miami a lot of credit for that. And for New England not to be able to stop the run is something that Coach Belichick has always stood for.
1: And lastly, a long, hard look at the quarterback position, something that Mike said, by the way, there's only one team in the AFC that has six wins, only one, just seems hard to wrap your mind around the fact that team is the New England Patriots, what a difference between the week one matchup between the Dolphins and the Pats and what we saw yesterday in the divergent directions these organizations are going at least this year. So when you talk about it, Mike, a long, hard look, how long and how hard do you have to look at Cam Newton perhaps coming back?
3: Yeah, again, Zubin, I've been disappointed how he played. You know, yesterday there were a couple times he missed some open receivers again. And maybe the last week of the season, if I'm Coach Belichick, maybe I also have to put Jared Stinneman and see what I have there. But I think if you ask New England from what they thought they were going to have with Cam Newton and how he played, I'm sure there's some disappointment in that building. Now, with that said, you could say, hey, let's bring him back maybe on another one-year deal Let's go through a whole offseason. Let's build this entire offense from the run game to the play-action game around what Cam does well. Maybe an offseason program uh, will do him and our offense uh, a lot of good, and maybe we can re- revitalize his career next year. But um, I'm sure there's a lot of disappointment right now in Foxborough this morning because uh, Cam Newton just hasn't played as well as they thought.
1: No doubt. It'll be a long ween for them it's going to be a long week literally and figuratively because they won't play again until monday night football when they take on the team that over the weekend dethroned them and finally snapped their 11 year reign atop the afc east that'll be the buffalo bills buffalo new england next monday night on espn mike thank you very much
3: all right thanks guys
1: let's go from a to z From A to Z is brought to you by Redbox. Redbox has new movies at the box and streaming on demand. Don't miss Tenant, starring John David Washington and Robert Pattinson. Visit Redbox.com for all the ways to watch. So we mentioned what a weekend it was for the Pats. They were eliminated from the playoffs on Sunday. The day before, they watched the Bills, as I mentioned, snapped their 11-year stranglehold atop the AFC East. It's Buffalo's first division championship in a quarter century. Matt Hasselbeck. The day after the Buffalo win in Denver on Sunday NFL countdown, putting Josh, Allen, putting Josh Allen in the most rarefied of air. Josh Allen
0: is every bit as good as Patrick Mahomes. It is so impressive. He makes it look easy. And when I watch, I mentioned it last week, when I watch Josh Allen play football, play quarterback, he looks to me like Patrick Mahomes. The style of play is very, very similar. And
1: defending him has just got to be incredibly difficult for defenses. Yeah, I can't go there.
2: Yeah, not at all. All respect to Matt Hasselbeck, but I think he's a little bit prisoner of the moment with this one. Josh Allen is coming into his own. He's a bona fide superstar. The throw that he made to Jake Kummerow right before halftime in that game against the Broncos, I mean, there's only a handful of quarterbacks that can spin it like that. But still, Patrick Mahomes is on a different level. You're talking about, and this is not hyperbolic, the best start to any quarterback's NFL career. That's Patrick Mahomes. He's already got a Super Bowl and an MVP on his resume. Let's pump the brakes putting Josh Allen Josh Allen in that territory.
1: One thing I will give Josh Allen credit for, and it's actually a great scene. If you saw the game, it was in Denver. Obviously, the no fans and all that are limited fans. When the Bills bus pulled out of the parking lot at the Broncos stadium, there was a large amount of Bills fans in the parking lot. You can only imagine what the scene was like in Orchard Park. I quickly want to mention Josh Allen gets one over On the Broncos, the Broncos coached him at the Senior Bowl. They are still in search of a quarterback. They actually coached Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen that Mm -hmm. week. Obviously didn't have the opportunity to draft Baker Mayfield going one overall, but they had the opportunity to draft Josh Allen.
2: They took Brad Chubb instead. I wonder if John Elway second-guessing himself on that one, seeing what Josh Allen has become.
1: Yes, considering they have not made the playoffs since Peyton Manning retired and they are still in search of that quarterback. They had Josh Allen up close and personal, could have grabbed him. Instead, Buffalo did. They're not looking back, and the Broncos are still looking for their signal caller. We're looking forward to the college football playoff, Alabama-Clemson-Ohio State-Notre Dame. No real surprise, the Rose Bowl game presented by Capital One. That'll be Alabama-Notre and Dame. Move from Pasadena to Arlington, Texas. That's because Pasadena is saying no friends and family at the game, so they moved it to Arlington. Keep in mind, Notre Dame's Brian Kelly said they might actually opt out of the playoff If they weren't allowed to have friends and family attend, and apparently he was serious, the game in large part, maybe due to his musings, was moved. All-State Sugar Bowl, Clemson and Ohio State in New Orleans. That'll be the nightcap. Obviously, those teams have a bit of a history in the CFP. Gary Barda, the chairman of the College Football Playoff Committee, answering this question from Reese Davis.
0: For the last spot. You had Notre Dame 4, Texas A&M 5. What gave
1: the Fighting Irish the edge over the Aggies?
0: Well, you painted the picture of of two teams that have uh, really similar resumes. Uh, They've played similar schedules. Coming into this weekend, uh, Notre Dame was undefeated. They had beaten the number two team now uh, in Clemson and on the road uh, against the number 13 team in North Carolina. And Texas A&M's top win was was against a very good Florida team. So very similar resumes. uh, But in the end, the committee felt like Notre Dame had earned its way there based on the the complete uh, analysis of of the resume. And that probably came down to having an additional win against a ranked team. Yeah, the committee made the right call
2: on that one, putting Notre Dame in the college football playoff. I mean, the team they lost to in the conference championship, they beat earlier in the season. And like you said, Clemson was number two at the time, even though they didn't have Trevor Lawrence. That was still a thrilling game, went into overtime. But Notre Dame was able to win that one, I don't think they were prepared for what they saw when they went down to Charlotte to play Clemson the second time around because that was a little bit of a different story. But still, Notre Dame's body of work, I feel like they should get the edge over Texas A&M in the CFP.
1: There's no doubt. Uh, Jimbo Fisher did say there had never been an SEC team with one loss that was left out. But obviously, this is not exactly as comparable as the other years. I also got to mention that you know this is a tough thing to do because this guy is not a public speaker. He's a suit. He's an athletic director. But I thought of all the years of the playoff, and now we're entering our seventh. Year of the playoff, um, the committee did as bad of a job every week explaining things. I mean, they were just getting ripped to shreds. And I understand it's a rite of passage that when you do anything wrong, you get ripped to shreds on Twitter. That's just the way the world works in 2020. Mm-hmm. But I really thought Barta, who is the athletic director at Iowa, simply had a lot of difficulty explaining himself. I think it's pretty obvious that every week they came out, they had the same four teams. We had the same four again yesterday, except the order was flipped a little bit. But I don't think they did themselves any favors here with the way that this went down. I think a lot of people were very upset that Cincinnati, by the way, Saturday night, nobody's talking about this because everybody only talks about the top four teams. How about finishing undefeated Mm -hmm. opposite Alabama, Florida? So I know nobody's watching it. Winning on a 34-yard field goal with no time left in your conference championship game to finish a perfect regular season. Absolutely no shake at it. I just thought the way that it was enunciated, I just thought a lot of people, a lot of fans have lost confidence in the committee. The choice was obvious. They made it. It wasn't difficult. But I just feel like more and more people are just looking at the committee and saying, you can't just come out there and say, you know, we watch a lot of football. There was a photo posted the other day. You tell me. You're the football player. Mm -hmm. I'm just a fan. There was a photo posted of, The Politically Correct Committee watching everything over the weekend. Everybody's sitting in their chairs. Everybody's got a mask on. No notes. No clicker. (laughs) Nothing that would indicate, like, let's go back and watch this again. Or do I have a couple of notes on this team? It's just a bunch of dudes sitting in a room, socially distanced with their masks on, staring at a TV listen, man, I watch football, you watch football, you watch it at a higher level than I do and most of our listeners do. But the fact that you just come out there and say, we watch a lot of football and this is what we like and this is what we saw. I just thought it was a really bad year for the committee. Well, I think there's
2: overall the frustration with the lack of transparency throughout the process, right? You talked about it throughout the entire year. The committee hasn't done a good job of explaining things. And I understand that things are upside down because we're dealing with playing college football in the middle of a pandemic and you're juggling schedules and you're trying to figure out if teams have enough of a body of work to merit consideration. But all that being said, I think you do have to at least give the public some information about the rhyme and reason and how you're coming to the decisions that you're making. And the fact that you don't have that, is what leaves a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. I mean, Cincinnati's not the first group of 5 program that we're talking about running the table and going undefeated UCF. and not getting in. UCF a few years ago and they had to settle for playing Auburn in the, in the Chick-fil-A Bowl. So I mean and, just, and they ended up winning. So I mean it just it just goes to show you that the college football playoff committee doesn't put a lot of respect with those Group 5 conferences and you really have to be a Power 5 conference a team in order to have a path in order to get into the college football playoff, be one of the final four teams. If you don't, you have little to no chance of being able to get it.
1: Yeah. And I think if this year was the year for them to be able to sneak in with all the absurdity and the craziness of the season, if you're not going to be able to do it this year, I think moving ahead, as Kirk Herbstreet said, when he joined our program yesterday, uh, last week, he said two things. one, The system is broken. They need to find a way to make it more uh, exciting. It's a predictable finish the entire way. It also devalues what many people think is the best regular season in sports. If it's going to be such a great regular season and you know who's already going to be in the postseason. And he also said it's time for the group of five and the power five to just break apart. The group of five could have their own playoff and whether BYU or Coastal or Cincinnati they could be able to crown their own champion and say, hey, we were the best of this lot and meanwhile the power five would be able to just rake in all the money and do what they want to do, and break apart. Anyway, I wanted to ask you this. Normally, conference championship games are held on about, you know, like the 5th or 6th of December, Mm -hmm. giving most teams about a month off before they would end up playing uh, their bowl game, whether it's on New Year's Eve or on New Year's Day. This time around, it's not like that at all. You basically cut it in half. You basically get yourself a bye week, and then you get a game week, And then you're going. How do you think that affects the playoff, essentially having half as much time to prepare because the season got pushed back so much?
2: Well, I think the target for the players is a lot closer, so it's easier to stay locked in and stay focused on the task at hand. When you have that month layoff before you play again – I mean, a lot can be lost in that situation. I know that coach is going to kind of a, a, a spring ball mentality with their players, but, uh, I mean, you know, not playing football for a month, it's hard to kind of get back to the form that you had, especially if your team is playing really well. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what this college football playoff is going to look like, but I think we're going to be in store for a higher level of football than we've seen in playoffs past.
1: Agreed. Keyshawn J. Will Zubin presented by Progressive Insurance. Quoting home insurance just got easier with Progressive's home Code explorer. Quote and buy all online at Progressive.com. Words we never thought would be uttered. Possibility that Trubisky is back with the Bears and Darnold is back with the Jets. That's next.
0: Keyshawn,
3: Jay, Will, and Zubin, the podcast.